0: Welcome to the October 2019 episode of My Favorites File. The topics we're going to cover today include how do we come up with the right name for a product, a service, our brand? How do we do that? What's the steps we should take in order to be able to ensure that we're coming up with a name that's memorable and one that's not going to cause us regret later down the road? Second topic is gonna be a little bit more self-help-ish, I guess. And it's around the idea of productivity, productivity shame, tender discipline, and how to practice heart-centered productivity. And our last topic is five-star ratings. Earlier this summer, I came across a podcast where they talked about the idea that maybe five-star ratings is not all it's cracked up to be. I've quoted it multiple times, and it now keeps coming back to me, so I thought, I need to talk about this a little bit more. So those are the three things we're going to cover today. Let's get started.
1: Imagine how your life and business would look if both were aligned with your purpose. You would find clarity and confidence in decision-making, set boundaries to keep you focused, and take intentional actions which move you closer to achieving personal and professional goals. Your host Amy Austin is a successful entrepreneur, coach, speaker, and brand strategist. With marketing and branding experience spanning over 20 years for service industries such as healthcare, software, and entertainment, Amy guides you and your business towards uncovering your purpose and the true foundation of your brand, and brings it to life in marketing strategies that educate, engage, and empower. The Pursuit of Purpose explores how to put your unique purpose to work building an authentic and successful service-driven brand. Each week, Amy will bring you practical advice to help you live your life and grow your business with purpose.
0: So what is in a name? Over the last couple of weeks, really, I guess, I have been experiencing the phenomenon called frequency bias or frequency illusion, where... It seems like this idea of how do we name something and what's the importance of a name as it relates to branding has just repeatedly come up. First, it was with a prospective client. Another was I did that clarity call that I mentioned last month with Zach Messler And we talked about a service offering that I have. And he said, you know, I'm not sure the name of what you're calling that service is quite right. Then this past weekend, I mentored at the Iowa Startup Games, which is a student program for entrepreneurial students at the University of Iowa in the JPEC program. And they come together Friday night, Saturday, and Sunday, and they pitch business ideas. They form into teams. They work on those business ideas, and on Sunday afternoon, they get together and pitch their ideas and have the possibility of winning money to be able to continue working on that project. The very first team that I went and talked to was talking about the name of their idea and trying to figure out what should it be and did the name that they had come up with so far really evoke the emotion and create the understanding Of What it was that they were trying to accomplish fast forward about three hours later, I'm driving home or I should say I was trying to drive home. I was in the parking ramp for a good 40 minutes. I think trying to get out because apparently there was another event going on at the same that got out at the same time as I was trying to leave and everybody in the ramp was trying to leave at the same time almost so I started listening to a podcast. The one I happen to pick is the one I'm going to talk about today, which is episode 247 of the Marketing Book Podcast. Yes, I'm proving that that is one of my favorites. On that episode, he was interviewing a woman named Alexandra Watkins about her book, Hello, My Name is Awesome. And it's all about how do we name things? When you see a brand name, what do you want to happen? Do you want them to, do you want your audience, this is? What do you want them to do? Do you want to think that they freaking love it? That they struggle to explain it? That they go back to looking at their phone? Or do they throw up a little bit in their mouth? (laughs) We definitely don't want that last one to happen, right? Yes, ultimately, we want them to pick number one. We want them to say they freaking love it when they hear our brand name. But how often does that happen? I don't know what the stat is for that, but I'm sure it doesn't happen as often as what we would like to think it does. Your brand name makes that critical first impression. Think about this. How many times is your brand name repeated when it comes to your promotional efforts? When you answer the phone, when you write an email, when someone gives you a referral or someone writes a testimonial? Your brand name is the one thing that is repeated over and over and over about your business. So it needs to be good. The challenge is, is that oftentimes we don't discover the faults of a poorly selected name until after it's been selected. So the author of this book, Alexandra Watkins, has an agency that focuses just on helping, in, helping businesses come up with names. And she has worked with some of the biggest names in in business. She's worked with Disney. She started off working for Gap. There were several others that she named off as well that she's worked with. So so she has a definite amount of credibility in, in what she does. And so as she went around and started speaking to organizations and was being invited to speak at conferences, she realized that people didn't know how to come up with a good name. She wanted to come up with a way that would help people understand the steps that you could take to find a good name. So she created two acronyms that she uses in her agency, but also in her book and in her presentations on how to help those who are not working with her agency come up with a good name for their organization, their business, their whatever it is, a service. She even says that we should be considering Using these same ideas when it comes to establishing work titles or conference rooms in our, in our businesses. And the first one is SMILE. What do those letters mean? S is SUGGESTIVE. You want a, a word or a name that evokes something about the brand. What does it do? What does it represent? One example that she shared was AMAZON. She said, Amazon, just by nature of the word, suggests something large, which it is. It's often something that's very metaphorical. Perfume and the car industry do an excellent job of this. They are suggestive of what the brand experience is going to be like. Escape, Expedition, Navigator. Those are things that, I think in all honesty, some of those are perfume names as well as car names. But with the in the car segment... They're names of SUVs. They give you that sense of what you can do in that vehicle. The second letter, M, is memorable. You need the name to be memorable. And the example... That she shares is when you can connect your name back to something that elicits a sense of familiarity, you're ahead of the game. So for example, she used the idea of if you meet a woman at a networking event and she tells you that her name is Lucinda and she works at Leapfrog, you might not remember her name in five minutes or in three weeks when you think back to that event but you're likely going to remember that you met somebody that worked at an organization called LeapFrog because LeapFrog means something in our lives. It's a childhood game. So it brings back that memory. We assign this idea that we have a relationship or a noticeable or notable, excuse me, reason to remember that. The I represents imagery. If the word that you use, or the name that you select, can evoke some picture in a person's mind. Your brand name is going to be stickier, and that's that's kind of what she uses her word for being memorable. It's going to be sticky. It's going to have the ability to stay with you longer. The L stands for legs, and this lends itself to a specific theme that will extend the mileage of your name one example that she gave was her agency did some work with a a public relations agency that they built the naming around the idea of fire and so everything that they named within their organization was related back to fire or extinguishing a fire or creating excitement around a fire Um, Another example that she gave is a chain of retirement homes that Jimmy Buffett is now affiliated with, and so they're using things related to Margaritaville in the naming of the streets and the different wings of the facility are all tied back to specific things within the terms that are frequently associated with Jimmy Buffett. And the E for smile is emotional, that it should move people. It should make them smile. And when we can do that, we have a better ability to be memorable in the minds of the individuals that we're trying to reach and have our brand name or our service name mean something to them. Now, the other acronym that she came up with was for what to avoid in naming, and that acronym is Scratch. The S is spelling challenged. If it is not spelled how it sounds, don't use it. And do not sacrifice spelling for the name for your domain name. She goes on to talk about just add another word into your domain. If you can't buy your one word or two word brand name because it's already taken, add another word. C for, in Scratch is for copycat you don't want to have a name that's too similar to somebody who's in your competitive set, especially. You don't want to be restrictive in naming because that will limit your future growth. A in Scratch is for annoying. If it's somehow forced or frustrating your customers, it's going to annoy them, and it, that is going to bring negative connotations back to your brand name, and that we certainly do not want to start off that way. The T is for tame. You don't want to have something that is too flat or uninspiring, because again, you're not going to be remembered then. C is the curse of knowledge. If it only makes sense to insiders, it's not going to make sense to those individuals that you want to work with. And the H is hard to pronounce. If it's unapproachable or hard to spell or hard to pronounce, you're not going to get anywhere. I kind of think of the pharmaceutical industry when I think of this one. How often can you actually pronounce the name of some of the drugs that are coming on the market today? And that's because they're making up words. Remember, I mentioned that I have a service that needs to be renamed. After listening to this, I would like your input. Help me come up with a new name for my service that I currently call the marketing director on call quickly what it is. It's an hour-long consultation. The individual that's scheduling it, they really drive the agenda. They tell me what it is that they need to talk to somebody about marketing or branding about. It might be making sure that they're spending their money wisely. It might be that they're a solo person in their business responsible for marketing and they need somebody to talk through some ideas that they have before they go and pitch it back to their boss. It might be the boss who doesn't understand marketing and they want somebody to help them understand it because they have a staff, but they feel like they need to understand it a little bit better and they don't want to have that conversation with their marketing staff. Or maybe it is you have the opportunity to do something that's new and different and you don't know how to approach it and you don't know how to decide if it is really the right thing to do. Those are some examples that I've encountered in doing these types of sessions. So we have the call. I summarize it with my input, my notes, and any resources or reading materials that I think might help you along the way in actually executing it. So you get a a bit of an action plan. Then you get some follow-up time with me as well. So it's really kind of a one-and-done type of thing. And it works really great after you've worked with me for a while and you just need a touch base, but it also works really well as some as that introductory, like maybe I want to work with you. I have this short-term thing and this is how you can get to know me. I charge a flat rate and it's been really helpful for the clients that I've used it with. So what would you call it? Drop me a message in the show notes Or leave a comment on my Facebook page. I'll put a post up in there and say, you know, help me name my service so that you can post off of that. I'd love to hear what you have to say. And sometime in the next couple of weeks when I decide on what I'm naming it, I'll share it. And if I pick your name, I will send you something as a a thank you for that. So help me rename my marketing director on call service. I'd really appreciate your comments. Thanks. We live in a world today that is just constantly on the go. And we're expected to be responsive 24-7 and figure out how to balance our work life and our our professional, our personal life, excuse me. And it seems like it's harder and harder to do that these days. On a recent episode of the 10% Happier podcast, Dan Harris interviewed Jocelyn Glee and they were talking about Productivity. The episode is number 207 and it's called A Radical Approach to Productivity. The thing that kind of stopped me in my tracks was when they talked about this concept that she refers to as productivity shame. And what is that? By her definition, that is what we do when we are constantly beating ourselves up over the idea of did we get enough done in a day Did I check enough things off of my to-do list? And let's face it, how realistic really is our to-do list? Do we put so much on there that it's impossible for us to accomplish everything that we set out to do for that for any given day or week or month? And then what happens? You beat yourself up and then you might go into a spiral of avoidance or procrastination Or you get frustrated with it and think, well, I just, I'm not able to do that. So then we start thinking about imposter syndrome. And let's face it, I think we've all been there in some capacity. And it really hit me because I think I do a fair amount of that. It seems like everything takes longer than what you anticipate it will or your to-do list just keeps growing and growing and growing. And all you do is check off the things on the list that are a quick win. And that's really what the rest of the conversation was during this podcast episode was around the idea of how do we allow ourselves white space in our day? And how do we use that? And How does that factor into our ability to be creative? Because let's face it, when we are talking about creativity, that's not something that usually can happen in a 10-minute time span that you might allow for creativity to reside in. Being creative and coming up with creative ideas is not a sprint. It's really more of a marathon. But we try and turn it into a sprint. Because, like I said, we're living in a world... That expects immediate gratification, quick wins, and availability 24-7. And that's largely due to the technology that we have in our lives today, which, yes, on so many levels makes life easier for us, but it also complicates things. So in talking about this concept of productivity shame, she also introduced the idea of heart-centered productivity, And I thought that was a really interesting definition because when I think about who are my ideal clients, they're people who are more heart-centered is really the way that I've come to define them. And by that, what I mean is that they are, they're in business for the good of the work that they're doing and the results that they are able to provide to their customers and their clients. And in turn... That's making them feel better about the work they're doing. It's improving the lives of their customers and clients. And the profits just come secondarily. That's kind of what heart centered productivity is, too. It's being mindful of who we are as individuals, understanding when we need to take breaks, when are we the most productive, and Allowing ourselves time to really get in and do the work that needs to be done in the time frame that it needs to be accomplished. That runs contrary to available 24-7, immediate gratification, instant wins. If you're taking time to make sure that you're allowing enough time to get a project done, you're not going to do immediate gratification for the person that you're doing this project for. It's not going to happen. So another com- key component in that, that heart-centered productivity is setting boundaries. And boundaries is a value that has fallen victim to the immediate gratification, 24-7, quick win concept as well. It becomes part of that shame spiral as well. It's really challenging to think about changing our work style and being more focused on who we are as individuals and what we need, because it's in our mind that by doing that, we are somehow sacrificing, we're making a sacrifice for our business that maybe isn't desirable. But in the long run, I would argue that because we're taking better care of ourselves, We're going to be able to take better care of our clients, in which case our business is going to be in better shape as well. So the other concept that she, um, and you probably just heard my page turn from my notes, that she talked about is tender discipline. If you are waiting for your discipline, and by discipline she meant your skill sets, your experiences anything that you're working to get better at, if you're waiting for your discipline to become immaculate, you will never get there because you are always looking backwards. You are not looking forward and really working on how do you improve that skill. Think about that for a minute. If you're trying to get better at something, but you're constantly looking backwards, how are you ever going to accomplish that? So through this idea of tender discipline, it's learning to trust yourself. It's understanding when are you the most productive. Are you a morning person? Are you a, I get up at, you know, seven or eight. So kind of that midday where you hit your best stride in the middle of the day. Or are you a night owl? Depending on which of those three you fall into, Figure out when is the most productive time that you have to work and do what needs to be done during that time and allow yourself breaks during the rest of that time. Or that's when you do the things that you can quickly check off your list. So think about these three things. Productivity shame. How often do you do that to yourself? I bet it's more often than you care to admit. How can you practice tender discipline? When you are faced with that productivity shame, how can you take a step back and evaluate what your calendar looks like? And speaking of calendars, one of the things that she said about that was, when you look at your calendar, look at it with the eye of a designer. A designer builds in white space because it holds a specific purpose in the design. It helps the harmony and the flow of the design when you have the appropriate amount of white space in it. Now, if you apply that to your calendar, which is a reflection of your life, by building in white space, you're building in harmony and balance in the life that you're designing. And don't we want that? And then think about heart-centered productivity. And when you go back to that idea of tender discipline and building in the white space in your calendar, you are going to find yourself practicing heart-centered productivity. I have a feeling it's going to make a difference for a lot of people. I'm going to start figuring out how can I practice this a little bit better. And I'm going to leave you with this idea. When you do a small shift in your thinking... And change a word from I can do or I can't do to I do or I don't. You've helped set boundaries for what you're doing, both in your own mind, but also for those that are asking you to do something for them. That's one small shift that can have a huge impact on our mindset and can put you on a path of being more productive, having boundaries and creating more white space in your life. Why don't you want a five-star rating? I have perplexed a number of people with that statement. And it all comes from a book called The Transparency Sale, which was written by Todd Capone, and he was interviewed on episode 226 of The Marketing Book Podcast. The key thing that I took away from it comes from the first probably 10 minutes of the interview, which is in writing the book, he did a lot of research into neurosciences and neuromarketing, specifically in terms of how do we make decisions, especially as it relates to buying decisions. And here is the truth. 95% of us use reviews when we make online purchases. 86% consider them to be an important part of the purchasing journey. 82% of people seek out negative reviews and the purchase likelihood peaks when the average star rating is between 4.2 to 4.5 on a five star rating list. Yes, you heard me right. The purchase likelihood peaks when the average star rating is 4.2 to 4.5. Why is that? It's because our brains are wired to resist being sold to. And that leads to the fact that transparency sells better than perfection. We don't believe that perfection exists. So when we see nothing but five-star reviews, we immediately think that there's something not right. There's a transparency that's not happening, that it's not authentic. But when we see those 4.2, 4.5, 4.8s, it's recognizing that we aren't perfect. And we look for that in who we buy from or in the product that we're buying from. Because if it is perfect, you become skeptical, I guess, is really what the point is there. Think about that the next time that you're giving a review look at them. If they're getting nothing but five stars, maybe give them a 4.8. Drop their rating down just a little bit. It might help them sell more. Now, if you want to know more about this book, obviously, you can go ahead and listen to that episode, which again, it was episode 226 on the Marketing Book Podcast. Or you can pick up the book, The Transparency Sale by Todd Capone. That was the key thing I took away from it. It's the thing I have quoted multiple times at networking meetings. In just in random conversations about sales and different things where it's come up and it's been appropriate to mention it, it obviously stuck with me. And it's come up again recently enough that I had a f- colleague reach out to me and said, do you think I'm being hurt? My sales are being hurt by the fact that I that I have all five stars? My question back to her was, are you as busy as you want to be? And she said, oh, heck yes. Okay, then it's okay. Don't worry about it. This is kind of a mind trick, a mind game that we play, but it can be beneficial, especially when you take into consideration those stats. 95% of people use reviews for their online purchases and 82% of them seek out negative reviews. I do it. I'm sure you probably have done it too. So keep it in mind. Maybe having a slightly lower than a five point average could be helpful. make sure to check out my show notes this week. I put together a quick worksheet that will help you remember those two acronyms about naming a new product, service, or brand, as well as some of the high points related to productivity and how we can build more white space into our schedules. Also, remember, I would love your opinions on what I should rename my marketing director on call service. So leave those in the comments on the show notes page or drop them onto my Facebook page. As I said, I'll put up a graphic about that so that you can all just comment right there. So I'd love to hear what you have to say about that. And I just want to take a moment right now and say thank you to everyone who has listened to The Pursuit of Purpose. Because of all of you, my downloads have rolled over 500. We're actually at about 550, and I couldn't be happier about that. So please know how much it means to me that you've all taken time to listen to the messages that I've been sharing each week. I've enjoyed it more than you know, and I look forward to continue to bring you quality content and more ideas on how to to bring purpose into your life, into your business, and how to really tap into
1: the power of your purpose. This has been the Pursuit of Purpose podcast presented by Austin Marketing. For show notes, links, and more, go to www.amyaustinmarketing.com. You can subscribe to the show and leave a rating review on iTunes and Stitcher. Thanks for listening.